0: we yeah. The following content is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Hello and welcome everyone to Always Another Way podcast. My name is Marina Sprocky Spriggs and I'm your host. I am the Ippy Award-winning author of Stop Looking for a Husband, Find the Love of Your Life, and Nasty Divorce a Kid's Eye View. I have a master's in professional counseling. I write positive divorce advice for the HuffPost, and I'm trained in clinical hypnosis. And this podcast speaks to out-of-the-box thinkers, and it's for those who hear the call of hope in always another way. And if you are extremely rigid and set in your beliefs, then this probably isn't your cup of tea. However, you should note, taste can, and do change. And again, I just want to thank everybody for listening to this podcast, and want to remind you that you can see us live on Facebook at the Always Another Way podcast page, on YouTube, on Livestream, and all the podcast apps. So make sure you share with your friends that you subscribe rate five stars hopefully and like because the more people that can see it the higher we go up in the ratings and the more people that will know that there's always another way and today I have a very very exciting show uh, the topic we're going to talk about how the world is transformed by asking, asking questions with Nikola Danilov and um, before we go into that asking questions Um, And part of this always another way, um, and I don't mention this in the beginning, but it's also about doing 180s. So when you really, really believe something with all your mind, and then suddenly you get new information and new perspective, and suddenly you think the total opposite. And I've had that happen quite a bit of times in my life. And sometimes it's also hard to admit when you're just like, you know, driving a train one way and you're thinking you're right and then you're wrong. So, um, you know, maybe like some of you, I knew everything when I was a teenager and in my early 20s. <laughs> and, um, or maybe you still think you know everything. But I have found for myself, the older that I get, the less I actually know. And as of recently, the more comfortable I am in knowing that. And then I'm going to blend a couple concepts to get, together, and hopefully this flows. And then as we go into um, our guest, this will all make sense. But let's say if knowledge is power, maybe control could be considered the temperamental reins, and emotional regulation, the turbo boost. And what I mean by that is um, after all these years, you know, I, I was one of those people that was like a control freak, you know. And maybe some of you are like that. Everything has to be like, just so nobody's telling me what to do. I mean, not even like a sandwich recommendation. Uh, You know, I wanted to control everything in my life and then got easily perturbed if stuff, you know, went sideways. And a lot of people live like this. But, you know, and then sometimes people use like anger and aggression when they go sideways is like thinking they're powerful. But in hindsight, when you step back and what I've realized after these years is that when I was trying to exert the most control in my life, that was actually when I was the most out of control. When you use things like this, anger and aggression, and then only when I've allowed myself to be okay not being in control, do I actually find myself in the most control. So, with that, marinate on that a little bit, and I'm going to introduce you to the modern day Socrates. He is the number one best-selling author of Conversations with the Future. Nikola Danilov is a keynote speaker, vegan futurist, strategic advisor, popular blogger, and podcast host. In 1998, Nikola moved to Canada where he completed an HBA in political science, philosophy and economics at the University of Toronto, followed by an MA in political science at York University. And it was at York U that Nicola became deeply interested in the technological singularity and wrote Hacking Destiny, Destiny, Critical Security at the Intersection of Human and Machine Intelligence. And in 2011, Nicola went to NASA's Ames Research Center in Mountain View, California, and completed the Graduate Studies program at Singularity University. Nicola has spoken at public events on topics ranging from technology Transhumanism and the technological singularity to new media, blogging and podcasting. He's been ranked within the top ten people, the AI elite follow on Twitter, woo profiled in Next Stage Rising Stars magazine, and has been interviewed himself for numerous documentary films, blogs, podcasts, magazines and newspapers. His Singularity FM interviews have had over 5 million views on iTunes and YouTube and have been featured on international TV networks, as well as some of the biggest blogs in the world, such as BBC, MTV, Space, Art TV, TV Japan, Telegraph, IO9, HuffPost, ZDNet, Boing Boing, and others. And today, Singularity Web Blog is the biggest independent blog on related topics. The Singularity.fm podcast is the first most popular and widely recognized interview series in the niche, and according to Professor Roman Yampolsky I'm going to butcher his last name, but we're going to call Iambulski. him Yampolsky. There you go. Nikola has established himself as the Larry King of Singularity, and I am just so happy to introduce the smarty, Mr. Nikola.
1: Hello. Okay. Hi, Marina. Thank you so much for such a fabulous introduction.
0: Oh, yes. And then... Um, Let's just start a little bit by kind of talking about um, you a little bit, like were you always just a super inquisitive person from the (laughs) get-go?
1: Yeah, I was one of those annoying kids that uh, had a question for everything and so my friends often called me the professor, the philosopher, the know-it-all, the smart (laughs) (laughs) pants. Uh, and then eventually, I got to the point where very early in my childhood, I started thinking that I actually knew everything. Oh, you too. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> and uh, just like you, however, I discovered that the older I get, uh, the more convinced I become that I actually don't know anything. And the more comfortable I become with that idea. So I think that's part of maturity uh personally. Uh and I think it it also is a very open-ended journey or pursuit of truth uh that allows openings and possibilities that we couldn't possibly imagine when we thought we knew everything.
0: <laughs> that's for sure true because you're certainly closed up when you know everything. I guess there's nothing to know. You know. You know it all. Uh, End of discussion.
1: <laughs> absolutely. That's why I am generally not a big fan of profound, fundamental uh, answers. Uh, I think it was Richard Feynman who said, uh, I'd rather have questions that I can't get answers to rather than have answers that I'm not allowed to question. Oh, right on there. <laughs> so, so this is kind of like my work. The core of my work is, is mostly about asking questions and then letting other people come up with their own answers
0: nice and let's let's dive into that a little bit and so we picked you out, you have a blog with just super interesting stuff and we just chose this this one particular post which is the world is transformed by asking questions and then in it we'll kind of go into some of the the depth in that too and I'll post the link so that people can look at it but it but let's let's quantify like what questions are you talking about how is you know let's set this up how is the world transformed? what kind of questions are we looking at and how are they presented
1: Well, I mean, when you're a child, any questions are good. All questions are good questions, right? There's no real bad questions. So uh, people usually want to basically force feed their children with a number of answers that they think are going to serve their children as they get older. But actually, I think what works better is to teach children the proper habit of asking proper questions and then allow them to reach the answers themselves. And then in that process, they would actually, uh, the, the answers would carry a lot more weight and they would have uh, a, a lot more conviction about the the validity of those answers because they weren't fed or given the, uh, to them, you know, ready to go as as a fast food serving, but rather they had to work for them.
0: Right, and absolutely I believe that because if you're just memorizing and regurgitating, memorizing and regurgitating, no room for that, and especially a lot of the way um, that I know that the U.S. schooling, elementary school is set up, and that same, um, and of course there's specialty schools where you can, Montessori and otherwise, where you can ask questions and explore, but yeah, with that, asking questions, um, you know, so why do you think that the world is transformed by asking questions? instead
1: of answers. Well, I yeah. mean, if you look at it historically, or if you look at it sort of in the realm of ideas, every revolutionary basically is a person who refuses to accept an answer that's given to him by the previous generation of wiser and older people. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is how revolutions work. The, the new generation refuses to accept the truths of the older generation, At least until they kind of get to those answers in their own way and in their own time, if you will, and quite often in their process, they end up doing something to the dismay of the older generation, uh, which overthrows the previous paradigm and they come up with new and better answers to the same questions that the previous generation was struggling with. And this is how we have progress. Right. This is how it all works. This is how it works in science, in literature, in personal growth, you name it. In art, you know, this is how we, we push the envelope and we push the line and we go further and further. This is, in my view, the very definition of progress. So when someone says to me, here's a book and pick your favorite holy book. And here are all the answers to the end of time that you would ever need. This is like them telling me, you shall not think. Mm -hmm. Because you don't need to think when you have the answers. All you need to do is just follow orders. Right? You don't need intelligence. All you need is obedience. And all progress is made made by intelligence, questioning obedience, I would say.
0: (laughs) Right. Because, well, we know what happens. I mean, kind of like live, just saying that with that obedience and authority, and especially with, um, you know, with, with books uh, that have all the answers or anything, that kind of lends itself to a lot of corruption when you can't be questioned. And, um, you know, at least and, that's uh, how I see it. <laughs> system, <laughs>
1: yeah. I would say is a perfect example of that, unfortunately, because the reason we started the educational system, say in the United States in 1900s, 10% of the population actually made it through high school. You see, high school was this kind of very elitist, very rare. Only one out of ten people would ever graduate from high school, let alone university, right? Right. But with the industrialization of manufacturing, uh, manufacturers, uh, industrialists, required skilled laborers. And the most important quality of a skilled laborer is obedience. Mm -hmm. And so then, the manufacturers were the people who put forward forth the requirement and the impediment for the wider population, for the workforce to actually go through high school, which is why high school is modeled on the factory model. Everybody is lined along the, their sort of uh, production date. So each students are in classes or grouped together based on their production date, their birth date. They're in roles. There's a, a buzzer at the end of, of class. And the most important skill is obedience, is to do what the teacher tells you to do. You may be right, but if the teacher tells you not to do something and you do it, then you get punished for that. Because we don't want workers who question, right? We want workers who actually stay on their production line and keep the pace uh, going. That's it. Yeah. And that, um, and so then we'll kind of go back to this. So
0: I can say for myself, and I don't know, maybe for you, I was just always a questioner of authority, like from the beginning I've yeah. seen things, you know, <laughs> that were a little bit sketchy going on, you know, children can witness. They're very, very smart and we discount them a lot, but children are extremely smart and intuitive at very, very young ages. And, um, so why I like this so much about the asking questions, Is these like little deeper parts that you're just talking about, and you know, you know that schooling was originally, yeah, to have a factory worker that could sit still for eight hours, do mundane, mundane tasks, you know, regurgitate, repeat, and then not question why you're just making this amount of money, and everybody else is moving If you ask
1: too many (laughs) questions, you're considered defective, so they return you back, in uh, one one level back again, one class back, or keep you together. So they basically don't put you. Uh, in circulation, but they hold you to sort of fix your defect, <laughs> just like it happens in manufacturing by the way
0: yeah
1: right uh, and, and so uh, but but uh, again that, and that actually worked during the the period of industrialization, but today, actually, when you had to regurgitate answers and you can actually do something useful with them, but in a world of Google, when answers are free right because it takes 10 seconds to google anything mm-hmm. then the real value is at the question level so when questions when answers are free questions can be really priceless yeah. that's where the value is because the better the question that you begin with the better the answer that you're going to arrive at and there's a very strong deterministic effect because the kind of question you're going to ask is going to give you the kind of answer you're going to get. So it's a real skill, it's a real art, and it takes many years of practice to ask good questions. And it's, I think, the highest form of intelligence because I think it was Pablo Picasso who said, computers are very stupid, they can only give you answers. Oh. And you see, that's what makes us unique, especially an artist. An artist is somebody who questions the established order, whether art, Whether politics, whether the historical context they live in, uh, whether architecture, you name it. They start questioning the previous, um, you know, common sense and they start breaking the taboos, if you will. This is what art does, right? And so to do that, you need to ask those questions. You cannot just accept the answers and that's what computers are for. But we are humans, we can do better. And the day that the computer can actually beat us at uh, asking questions, which actually unfortunately may not be too far from now, is the day when we should be starting to be really worried about, you know, or, or 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 starting to think about how are we going to kind of live in a civilization where we are not the smartest species anymore.
0: Right, and so, you know, with that, like, so let's talk about like what some maybe like some big questions are that people could ask beyond the just like, um, how do we get to world peace? Uh, that's kind of big, uh, you know, slimmer down, but you mentioned some in your blog about you know, when just questioning, um, I guess it's not reality, but the uh, like, you know, gravity or theories or even you know, bigger stuff like that.
1: Right, but (laughs) let's start with the simple stuff, perhaps, right? So, I mean, Albert Einstein discovered his theory of relativity one day when he was uh, uh, at night coming home. He was working as a patent clerk in an office in uh, Switzerland, and he was biking home from work in the middle of the night, and he had a little uh, headlight on his bicycle, and he asked himself the question, what would it be like if I'm actually able to write on a light beam Mm. and then to be able to answer that question actually he had to come up with the theory of relativity and that's where it all started but of course you don't have to be Einstein and you you don't have to ask those questions you can ask simple things like for example who am I Mm. right who are you most people actually never get to ask these questions you can ask is there a God uh, what's the purpose of life? Uh, uh, what's the good life? Uh, what is justice? What is love? Uh, what is beauty? What is friendship? Uh, what is art? Uh, you know, o- o- what is piety? Uh, all those, th- all those things that, in my opinion, uh, the Greeks and the Romans used to do very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, So in the time of Socrates, people used to have this 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 thing called the symposium and the symposium was basically a drinking party. It was a bunch of guys. Unfortunately, at Mm. the time, it was mostly guys, um, a bunch of guys who would get together, eat and drink, but also discuss very important topics and ask all those questions that I just mentioned. So the idea was that at the end of the night, at the end of the symposium, Hopefully, the guests would leave with a new awareness, with a new understanding of all those questions. And at the very least, they would become aware that things that they knew for sure, that they thought they absolutely know, actually, they didn't even know. They had no idea what they're talking about. (laughs) Because that's what happens. Everybody thinks, oh, I know what the good life is. I know who I am. I know if there's a God, I know this, I know that. But if you actually start going deeper and deeper in this, you know, you cannot actually find out any of those answers or get close to them even a little bit unless you you start up with ignorance. And of course, most of us don't start up with ignorance, but we start up with the presumption of knowledge.
0: <laughs> right. And then some of that, that's where I kind of want to even like that emotional component of like... Uh, You know emotional regulation with people that think that they're just like all the know-it-alls and then need to come back and then how people get together and you've got to find people with the better like emotional regulation uh, to have these conversations because just you talking there of like a group of people um, you know that come in talking about deep things and then I'm assuming like not hardcore on the drinks because you get dumb but you know Uh, talking about about really deep issues and then coming out hey we discussed a lot and we don't know it but in today's society and I don't know maybe you know better people than I do but uh, you know (laughs) where I there's only one group that I'm in um, which is very interesting it's um, Roxana Erickson is one is Milton Erickson's daughter it's this um, hypnosis group in in um, North Dallas where the first Mm -hmm. time I came she said you know the other guy that's you know, one of the leaders of the group, that they have opposing views, and she does that specifically so that she doesn't overtake with her opinion, and everyone needs to have opposing and different views, and it's the most, it's one of the coolest, most experiential groups that I'm in because everybody loves to learn, nobody thinks that they know better than anyone else, and walks away like that, you know, no drinks, but... Mm -hmm. Uh, Is there more Uh, people like that or or do you think it's just a, you know, what could get our environment more into questions like these besides like what is, um, you know, one of the Kardashians somebody's wearing, you know?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I think this kind of approach actually is really uh, beneficial and it really works and it's what I'm going for um, myself with my blog and my podcast. The idea is basically to create exactly that, which is an online forum or an online symposium, if you will. Uh, Where I get to be the Socrates, because uh, Socrates is my blogging name, uh, which people gave me in the army anyway, and then I decided to embrace Uh rather than fight it. But uh, the idea is, uh, if I've done my job right, at best, I'm a midwife to people giving birth to their own ideas. So I bring all kinds of opinions and points of view that I don't share uh, on my blog, quite often very different uh, from me. Uh, I have an opinion. I don't hide it, but I use it only as a point of conversation. I don't put it on a pedestal. And hopefully I allow space for people to come up with their own ideas and their own opinions. And just like, uh, you know, when I was talking previously about children, but it works for all of us uh, as adults too. When people come up with their own ideas, they have much stronger convictions. So it's all about sort of creating the right environment where you have the right principles, hopefully the scientific method of hypothesis, and then testing, uh, and then retesting again and so on. And this is how we make progress, and this is how people learn new things, not when it's like given to them and, and them being told, this is the truth and this is not truth.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And how has this, um, this viewpoint like a two part question how has it changed your life and how did you get to a point where you were so just like you said like i have a, you know everybody has opinions but how you can put them out there not on a pedestal but hey here's here's a jumping off point this is what i think let's discuss rather than you know uh there's quite a few people that have that force feed style mm-hmm. how do you you know how has that viewpoint changed your life and how do you how do you come to a place where you can be you know you're obviously very smart, you know, but confident <sighs> in that without being like, you know, cocky and I know. Do you know what I'm saying?
1: Well, so I used to be cocky and I thought I knew. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that's the profound change in my life. Uh-huh. The more, and, and for example, my whole blog, my whole podcast on the topic of artificial intelligence and the technological singularity is also another good example. I started up as a Singularity fanboy Uh, and the more I've done 230 interviews with the smartest people around the world and the more I've worked on this and the more research I've done and now it's been about 12 or 13 years of research on the topic, the more convinced I become that we have no idea what's coming our way and we're not prepared and even me who spent the last 13 years on that same topic, I'm clueless. I have no idea what the future will be like. I have hopes and I have fears and I have ideas, but how it will turn out—if if, anything—if history teaches us that the, the future always surprises us. Oh, that's a—and we are rarely prepared for it, if ever. Probably almost never. And if 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 it doesn't surprise us, then that's that's just some kind of a very extremely random and rare phenomenon. Um, so that's the major the major sort of. Personal change in me. I used to be a know-it-all, uh, and, and now I I've actually learned one of the hardest lessons in life, perhaps that I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Believe it or not, and people tell me, how could you be a futurist if after 13 years of studying something you say you don't know? Well, but, but that's the truth. I have ideas, I have hopes, and I have fears, and I can share with you what those are, and then hopefully you can decide for yourself which hopes and which fears you share with me or not, and which kinds of actions you would share with me and you think that we should or we shouldn't do. But, uh, you know, and that's another thing about questions and answers, by the way. You see, questions have a lot more longevity. Because if you look at those questions that I mentioned before, that the Greeks and the Romans were asking, and that we were asking basically since the Epic of Gilgamesh and probably even before that, The questions have remained the same. What have changed though, are the answers Mm. in each epoch, each timeline, each century gives a different answer, but the question remains the same and this is how we make progress. Then the next generation comes and sometimes it takes 500 years to come out of the dark ages to come up with a new answer, but eventually a new answer emerges, you know, and we had feudalism as as an answer and then we had capitalism and so on and so on. And then we had other potential candidates like communism or socialism that tried to provide an answer but failed in the 20th century. Uh, And so if you look, there's no other field such as technology where answers go obsolete faster than than that. Oh, right. (laughs) So, so for example, in technology, in a certain context or timeline, the best technology was, you know, uh, a a shell-shaped, Motorola Razor cell phone. Mm-hmm. Right that was the best answer of the day. Everyone had one of them at the time and it was the best. And then that answer lasted for a couple of years and then we had the iPhone. Before that we had Nokia probably and then or, or even before that we had the BlackBerry, oh, yeah. the Crackberries, right? That was those. the answer, that was the fad, that was the best thing, that was the and it was really the best thing at that time. That was the best answer. But the question remains the same. The question is, how do we communicate? How do we connect with each other? How do we connect with the world? How do we connect with the Internet? How do we connect to the machines? And each epoch provides a different answer. Now we have the iPhones, maybe Android and so on and so on. And so technology is the place where those answers go obsolete for sure and much faster than than any other place. But the questions, you see, those questions, they have longevity. So, if you look at it from a cosmological sense, questions such as, how did the universe begin? What is the universe? How will the universe end? Will it end? Is it expanding? Is it shrinking? Is it the Big Rip? Is it the Big Bang? Uh, Is it, uh, you know, inflation theory and so on and so on? All those questions may actually last forever. And at different times, we may come up with different answers. Right. So so that's one thing that I've learned. You know, don't believe yourself too much because at best, if you're lucky, you may have a question, uh, you may have an answer that actually works. But even if that's the case, it would be for a period of time. Right. And then it would go obsolete just like all the previous answer to that same questions before you. And there would be a new answer to the same old question. And it would not be your answer. And actually, the longer you try to hold on to your answer, because th- the problem is like this. We come up with a solution to a problem. We come up with an answer. Take Kodak, for example. My wife, family is from Rochester, New York. The Eastman Kodak Company had, a, uh, had their headquarters there for 120 years. And Kodak was a $28 billion company with 100,000 employees worth, uh, you know. Uh, And they had this answer. The answer was uh, uh, analog image Mm -hmm. uh, consisting of film uh, and, uh, in other words, paper and chemicals. So the chemicals would create the film and then you you make it, you print it out on paper. And that was tremendous answer and amazing art and photography and everything was done for 120 years with that answer. And one day that answer was no good anymore. It was obsolete. And then the analog image got replaced by the digital image and Kodak went bankrupt. And why was that? Because they were so convinced that they got the answer and they have 120. You can't blame them. They have 120 years worth of evidence behind such claim. Right. But but the key is the key realization is that sooner or later, the right answer becomes the wrong answer. And it goes obsolete, just like all the previous answers before him before that answer.
0: Oh, that is a good one for like the ultimate answer (laughs) (laughs) drop-off. And so, um, yeah, is there um, just anything else that you just want to let our listeners know that
1: we kind of didn't talk about yet? Well, you see, my work... So the biggest misconception about my work is that people think my work is about technology. But actually, my work is about ethics. Technology is just the context because technology is amoral. It doesn't have any essence of its own. It's merely uh, a reflection of our own essence. So when you apply it, it's only then that you have either moral or immoral, you know, effects. But the technology, as as I said before, is amoral. And so all my work uh, in the last 13 years is about ethics in the context of technology. What's right and what's wrong and how do we know the difference? What should we and what shouldn't we do with technology? And how do we know the difference? And basically, I want to simply remind people that, you know, technology is, has always been actually, until recently at least, the how. The means to an end. It has never been the why, and it's never been the what. The why and the what used to be us, used to be humanity. Unfortunately, in the 21st century, in the last 10 years or so, technology has become an end in itself. Mm. (laughs) And that's putting the cart in front of the horse. And if we allow that to happen, the ultimate outcome of this is going to make humanity obsolete. Because when technology becomes an end in itself and when machines don't need humans anymore, then what's the meaning, what's the purpose of us?
0: That's a good question.
1: So we need to be aware of that sort of tendency and we need to sort of not fight, but but keep proving by our actions that we there's a space for us here And one of our best spaces is perhaps in the our capacity to ask good questions. And to move forward and to keep technology in its proper place, which is a means to an end, which is a how and the why and the what should remain properly in our own domain. Because we should be the masters of technology rather than the slaves of it. But unfortunately, if you look uh, around us there's tremendous amount of evidence that suggests that many of us if not most of us and if not all of us have become you know the tools of our tools and the slaves of of our technology which is upside down
0: yeah and, and on that and i've been trying myself personally to just get off the scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and keeping looking at all the social media stuff and got to like (laughs) yes get off of that and then come back into the more real world with a good balance of stuff and then and then lots of studies too around true connection which is you know the thing about you know technology that's good just as this wouldn't have found you and had this great conversation you know live that we're having and other things like that so technology has enabled us to reach you know millions of people and things and ideas that were not possible before but at the same time just like you said if we don't watch who's the slave and who's the master to make sure that we're still building up these connections of the real live breathing humans
1: that are around us yeah and and as i said this is we should be the the the, the what and the why we should not be the how technology should be the how We are the why and the what. We should be the masters. Technology should be our slave. Uh, And there's a lot to be said about this kind of uh, tremendous amplification effect that technology gives us. You know, I have 21,000 subscribers on my YouTube channel. It's it's tremendous. I get thousands of emails. It's fantastic. But the reason why the YouTube channel works uh, and podcasts work is because we get this human connection that you don't get with the text, you can hear the person's voice, you can hear, uh, you can see the person's face Um, and we have evolved over thousands of years to get to extract a lot of information from that kind of sort of silent uh, information based on body language. But And so technology is giving us closer and closer approximation to that. But there's still something to be said about in-person interaction, the way the Socratics used to do it, or in Plato's Academy, and so on and so on. Uh, And so I would say, use technology, it's a very powerful tool, uh, but do not worship it.
0: There you go. And so now, if everybody wants to just find you everywhere and see what's up, where do we go to find all of your stuff at?
1: Well, my uh, podcast is uh, Singularity.fm. That's the URL. So if you type that, you come to my homepage. Uh, I'm also on iTunes, YouTube, uh, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, you name it. Uh, and my blog can be found also at Singularity.info. Uh and That's about it. I'm also on Amazon. Uh, I have a best-selling book called conversations with the future 21 visions for the 21st century uh, For those who prefer uh, old-school text they can get the book in a paper format or they can get it as uh, an Amazon digital version on Kindle
0: Awesome. Well Nicola, it was so nice talking to you and I just love all the questions That you've posed and to keep asking questions and my favorite of questioning authority too (laughs) but that and um just want to thank you so very much to be on and please find him check out his blog his book and his podcast and you will become smarter and then have even more questions
1: after that (laughs) Thank you very much, Marina. You did absolutely tremendous job uh, of this interview. I'm, I'm very impressed. And, and uh, if I were to play my futurist role for a second, I would say keep it up and you have a good future in the world of podcasting and in building an audience and, and people loving the work that you do because you clearly do your homework. You're passionate about it. You go deep. You're not afraid to take sort of an uh, interesting uh, sideways, which is where usually the truth lies. It's rarely in the center, uh, you know, in the spotlight. It's it's usually somewhere hidden in a dusty shelf, you know, that we have to dig out to get to it. And you're not afraid to do that. So I see very good uh, things in your future.
0: Oh, my gosh, you just made my day. Thank you so very much. And thank you to everyone who's listening And you know that there is always another way.